Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. It is getting harder for many people to afford and keep a home in Minnesota, whether they're renters or homeowners. It's a national problem. Well, this hour, we're going to be talking with Minnesota's Housing Commissioner, Jennifer Ho. She's joining me to talk about the rising cost of rent, the lack of enough affordable housing, and what the government can do to get more people into homes. We're also going to be taking your phone calls. We'll do that later in the hour. But first, it is Monday, and it means it's time to take our some time to get our weekly update on the latest economic news from NPR's senior economics contributor, Chris Farrell. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Hi, good to see you. Hey, it's six days until Christmas. How are you doing on your on your shopping list? <laughs> well, I thought it was done, but when I was walking here into the studio, I realized I'm not quite done. I'm almost there. So I have, I have one more gift to go out there and get. And Some people like me have not started because I'm trying to think, how do I want to spend my money? Exactly. Well, right? th- you are exactly what's happening with the American consumer. Um, Over the weekend, I had some fun. This is how I have fun, looking at different uh, retailing consulting groups and what their forecasts are for the holiday season. And Mm. it's all over the lot. But if you look at the CEOs of Target, Walmart, Amazon, what they've been saying is pretty consistent. The consumer is shopping, but they want discounts, they want deals, and they've shifted their spending to more frugal items, you know, more budgetary items. They're not out there buying the sort of splurge gifts that you might have had in previous years when people are more confident. trendy, but what might be helpful or useful. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. I think this is, you know, it's going to be an okay holiday season, but nothing to write home about. Get ready for some new socks, people (laughs) in my life. Uh, When when it's this cold, (laughs) socks are a wonderful thing. All right. Well, looking at the economy, uh, one of the big news headlines is that uh, consumer prices rose at a slower than expected pace for November. But the Federal Reserve also raised its benchmark interest rate by another half percentage point. Have we turned the corner on inflation? So, Angela, this is now the big debate. Remember several months ago, there was that huge debate about uh, were the inflationary pressures temporary? Or were they more permanent? Uh, And then, obviously, they were not temporary. It was a real issue that we had to deal with. And the Federal Reserve embarked on this, raising its benchmark interest rate campaign, you know, really leaning against inflation. Well, the debate has started up again. And if you look at at the market, you look at the bond market, you look at what investors are doing. Investors are basically saying, look, um, inflation has peaked. You know, we think it's coming down in 2023. By the way, do you realize that it's almost 2023? Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> astounding. I mean, we're here. Because we're, we're, we're now making the forecast. And so th- they're looking at the numbers. They're saying inflation is coming down. And one reason for optimism has to do with um, uh, rents. So mm-hmm. rents have been going up and going up. And that was one of the factors that has really been driving the consumer price index. And the, one third of the consumer price index is made up of shelter. So you have a number of economists, they've been working with Zillow and some firms like that to create real time what's happening with rents. And what they're seeing is that rental increases are moderating. So they're looking into 2023 that on the rental side, there'll be some easing of the pressures. So that's one of the reasons that there's optimism out there. The Federal Reserve, on the other hand, is saying, look, yeah, that's all very nice. But we're not convinced. We're not sure. And so you got the Fed governors, you got the Fed presidents, they're out there giving talks. We're not convinced. We're going to at least continue to lean against inflation. And, you know, we're going to stay the course for now. So this is the big discussion that's going on. 
So break down the consumer price index number for us. Uh, what prices went up and what prices went down most recently? Okay, so to get the headline inflation, you know, back in June, it was rising at a 9.1% annual rate. Then uh, it, And now it's running in November, it was a 7.1% annual rate. So, you know, go in the right direction. Uh, prices were down for gasoline, utilities, medical care services, used car prices, uh, moderated for restaurant meals, and prices for new vehicles were flat. So that's, that's a good, you know, that's good. But by the way, food prices at the grocery store, still really high, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to put this in the context, uh, Mark Zandi's the chief economist at Moody's Analytics. He said for the typical American household earning the median income, um, you know, they're spending $400 more a month to buy the same goods and services that they were a year ago. The other big issue um, is the state of the economy and, and this, this fear that the Fed will raise uh, rates too high, push the economy into recession sometime in the new year. Is that thinking the same? Has it changed? No, that thinking is getting a little more ingrained. And part of it is the rest of the world is slowing down. Uh, China's moved from its, uh, you know, lockdown policy with COVID, but COVID is now spreading and there's a lot of, uh, you know, the, the pandemic is working its way through factories again. Mm. Uh, uh, Europe has slowed down, obviously, with the war uh, against Ukraine. Britain is, is in terrible shape. So, yeah, there is a, this, this growing fear that, uh, we might have a recession. We know that the economy is slowing down. You know, we just do. But, you know, forecasting is a hazardous uh, enterprise under normal circumstances. Um, and it's really hazardous right now with all the uncertainties that are out there. But if you look at the economy right now, you can say very, very strongly it's going to slow down. You cannot say very strongly we're going to go into a recession. What you can say is if you believe that inflation is going to stay higher than expected, then the odds are we're going to go in recession are really high because the Fed's just going to continue to raise its benchmark interest rate. If you're an optimist on inflation and we start seeing inflation coming down, we might miss a recession. So are we in a recession right now or not? Or we are, we are not, not in a recession because it's all this conversation. The reason why I just want to emphasize this, we are not in recession. The unemployment rate in Minnesota is what, 1.9%? The unemployment rate nationwide, 3.7%. So there's a lot, of, but there is so much pessimism out there, Angela. Wall Street Journal did this survey and um, a majority of voters think the economy will be in worse shape in 2023 than it is right now. And roughly two thirds in this survey, you know, said that the economy is going in the wrong direction. And that uh, survey was December three through seven. So on that hand, you had this discussion where there's a lot of negativity. But then as we were starting our conversation about the holiday season, I mean, yeah, people are looking for discounts and they're, they're being more frugal and they're being more budget conscious, but they're still spending and people still have jobs. And the unemployment rate is still low. So, again, this is the story of this economy coming out of this pandemic. A lot of uncertainty. So we're spending the rest of the hour talking about housing, the housing market. Uh, what can you tell us about the housing market in Minnesota, Chris? Okay, so I'm really uh, looking forward to what uh, State Housing Commissioner Jennifer Ho has to say because she has a really deep knowledge about what's going on here. Um, one thing I do want to say, because I keep reading these forecasts, say that the housing market is going to crash. You've heard that word crash. You know, it's going to be like 2008, 2009. And I just don't see it because for one thing, you know, lenders have been much more are and have been much more conservative at this time around compared to 2008. Um, people, homeowners have a lot more equity built into their homes. And the bottom line is, and most importantly, there just isn't a supply. There just isn't enough supply, which is what you said in the introduction is really, a, you know, really weighing uh, 
and uh, on, on this housing market. So I don't see it. Uh, safe forecast, prices are going to come down, but nothing like the dramatic drop. If you look at the um, Minneapolis-St. Paul Realtors, they, they came out with their report. You saw you know a large drop, a year-over-year sales in November. And the main reason is the jump in mortgage rates. And just to give you an example why mortgage rates really matter. So payment is a $500,000 house last year, 20% down payment, and a 3% mortgage rate. Your monthly you know, principal interest payment is about $1,700. To buy that same house now, um, <laughs> your monthly payment would be about $2,700. That's a 61% increase. Mm. So this is, you know, this is really pushing a lot of people out of the market. So no supply, higher interest rates. And even though we might be getting wage increases, we aren't getting the kind of wage increases to be dealing with that kind of increase. To make um, owning a home a reality. Yeah. All right. Uh, That's Chris Farrell, who uh, joins us each Monday morning, our senior economics contributor here at NPR News. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. All right, let's talk more now about the housing here in Minnesota, how important it is to have a place to call home and how hard it is for many people to afford a home. Rents were rising even before inflation hit. And for some people, the cost of an apartment is out of reach entirely as well. Minnesota saw evictions jump in 2022 after the protections during the pandemic were phased out. And during a single week this past July, more than 700 households in the state were evicted. Meanwhile, many people dreaming of buying a house or condo are are getting priced out of the market, as you heard, by higher interest rates. And that adds hundreds of dollars to monthly mortgage payments, as Chris described. Minnesota's housing commissioner is here on the line with us now this morning. And as I talk with her, we're taking your phone calls, too. Have you ever struggled to pay rent or been forced to leave your home because you couldn't afford the rent or the mortgage? Is that your situation right now? Is it happening now? If you own a home, did anyone help you with the down payment? What role do you think government should play in helping people who cannot afford market rate housing? The call number is 651-227-6000. Again, you can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. You can also leave me a message on Twitter. I'm at Angela Davis, NPR. Good morning, Commissioner Jennifer Hull. Thanks for making time for us here at NPR. Hey, good morning, Angela. It's terrific to be with you. Thanks for having me on. So I remember talking with you uh, shortly after you'd been sworn in as the housing commissioner. You were one of several new cabinet members selected by Governor Tim Walls four years ago, shortly after he was elected. And Commissioner, what stands out to you now as you look back at the last few years in that very important job? (laughs) Well, I remember how excited I was uh, Mm -hmm. when I first took the job. It was great to be on your show in the first few weeks that I was the commissioner. And, you know, that first year learning the job, traveling around the state, uh, working with the legislature, and, you know, none of us saw the pandemic coming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they say, you know, every administration gets thrown a curveball. Well, I think we just got a doozy of a curveball. And um, so figuring out just how to adapt through that period is fairly extraordinary. I'm, I'm lucky to be surrounded by a great team of people. So a frequent conversation I have had with friends and people I barely know is about the high cost of rent, the high cost of buying a house, the inability to buy a house. And Commissioner, we know people are are struggling and stressed out about a very basic need, having a home. And do you hear that? Are you feeling that? Do you worry about that? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we knew four years ago 
before COVID that we had a supply problem. You know, Chris Farrell just said it. It's, it's all about supply. We have more households in Minnesota than we have homes. And so it's the basic rules of supply and demand. When you don't have enough supply and you have demand, prices go up. And, you know, I mean, if the pandemic taught us anything, it's about how our, our very health and safety, you know, mm-hmm. are sometimes tied to just having a safe place that we can afford. And right now, far too many Minnesotans uh, are staying someplace that is uh, cost them way too much uh, or they're doubling up or, you know, worst case scenario, uh, they're living homeless. So as we geared up for this conversation, um, we just all became aware of some national news that, that just uh, broke this morning. Uh, President Biden released a plan this morning that aims to reduce homelessness across the country by 25 percent in the next two years. And so uh, he announced a 100 plus page plan. I'm reading this in The Washington Post. And what's interesting to me is that it comes from uh, input from hundreds of unhoused people. Um, as homelessness across the nation is reaching crisis levels, uh, crisis levels. So how how are you and your department reacting to this, that the fact that the president is coming out and, and saying in the next two years, we're going to we're going to really attack this problem? You know, I got, I got to work um, out in Washington, D.C. during the Obama administration, uh, the same group that that is releasing this plan, the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness and also at HUD. I think I think we know what people need. People need a home that they can afford. And, and by and large, uh, the reason, the main reason that people experience homelessness is because they can't find a home that they can afford. Mm-hmm. And what we have seen, you know, especially with veterans, is that when we have a year-to-year commitment of funding from the Congress that is targeted towards helping homeless veterans get off the street and into a home that they can afford, you know, we've seen an enormous reduction in the number of veterans experiencing homelessness, not just nationally, but but here in Minnesota as well. You know, all but two counties in Minnesota have effectively ended veterans' homelessness because we have invested in getting people into a home that they can afford. And so, you know, it, it's that type of a, a consistent investment, uh, really making sure that we have housing that's affordable to people who make the least. And so... Now, that's very much what I'm looking forward to taking to the legislature next session to talk about how the state can invest in making sure that we increase supply and do it in a very targeted way so that people who make the least can afford to have a home. We have a huge budget surplus, and I know there's talk in many circles about what should be the priority, how this money can be used. And so that's something you're thinking and your staff is thinking about right now, the priorities. What, can, what should be done first? I mean, absolutely. And if you don't get housing right, it's hard to get anything else right, mm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. a kid who doesn't have a stable home has a hard time in school, right? Somebody who has an illness who doesn't have a stable home is going to end up being more expensive to the healthcare system. Somebody who is uh, trying to get to a job every morning but doesn't have a consistent place to sleep at night is going to have a harder time with that job. So, you know, housing is so fundamental to everything else that we do. I think it's really important that we make a significant investment in housing this session. 
All right. I want to talk more about some of the the numbers that were released this morning from uh, the federal government. And I know there were some Minnesota numbers in that as well. But first, I I want to take a a phone call or two from some listeners as we talk with Minnesota's housing commissioner, Jennifer Ho, about the many challenges we face right now as we look at housing and what a state agency like Minnesota Housing can do about it. What is the role of of this department? Um, The number to call is 651 Two two seven six thousand, or you can call us at eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Um, Commissioner Ho, let's take a phone call right now uh, in Minneapolis. We have Cynthia on the line. Good morning, Cynthia. Thank you for listening and for calling in. Hello. Hi. Go right ahead. We can hear you. Okay. I I have a mortgage. I um, couldn't sustain my mortgage when um, during harder economic times, and then. I had to live in my car for two and a half years while I had renters um, to sustain my mortgage. Um, and then in in that process of my economic challenges, it wasn't sufficient for me to then have a cheaper apartment uh, while my house was being rented to sustain my mortgage. So um, it, the only way to sustain the mortgage was to rent it out. Cynthia, describe living in your car. What? How does that work? So it's using cafes with Wi-Fi a lot, um, especially during harder weather. And then it's um, uh, finding places where you can park your car, where you just blend in, and you incidentally make sure you don't put your foot on the brake pedal so that there's clearly no activity by how it looks um a number of things it it's yeah like i had to move my stuff to storage so i kept all my stuff and i had a storage rent cost and i had a full-time job the whole time and it and that wasn't sufficient for an apartment uh, because of the low level of pay and the circumstances with the harder economic times and and whatnot. And Cynthia, are you in a better situation now? Are you in an apartment? Are you back in your home now? I'm in a better situation now. I just kept renters in my house and then I'm in an apartment right now. So we have the, the housing commissioner on the line. What do you want people with, um, you know, the ability to do something about housing? What do you want them to know? Or what would you like to see them do? Just be more aware, I guess, of it, the the invisible um, it, people who may not be the most. You can't see certain sectors of people experiencing challenges. Like I w- stayed very much below their radar, um, and I had too much income to receive assistance. So I guess that would be a barrier for someone like me. Mm-hmm. And were you aware during this time that there were other people like you? Were you seeing them or? or, or... I did see other people. Mm. I actually became really cognizant of like in the early morning hours or like around midnight and and just way more cognizant of what was going on around me where like things I see now are things I didn't see before because mm. I like prior to being homeless and it where like little things that people do to to keep themselves afloat mm-hmm. i i would go from one cafe to another cafe so that i wasn't spending like a full 12 hours in a cafe right 
Well, Cynthia, um, thank you for calling in and, and sharing uh, your experience. And I, I'm, I'm hoping things get better for you. And I want you to stay safe. Thank you, Cynthia. Uh, Commissioner Ho, uh, you said it at the beginning of the conversation. If we don't get housing right, nothing else goes right. And what there's so much in what Cynthia shared in her situation. She was a homeowner but couldn't afford the mortgage and then couldn't afford rent either. So she lived in her car. Yeah, I mean, well, first, I just want to say to Cynthia, wow. I mean, that sounds really rough. And, and you're a survivor. And I'm so glad that you're in your own apartment. And Angela, I would just mention, we have a federal homeowners assistance fund dollars, homehelpmn.org. So people who are behind on their mortgage, we have a federal stimulus program that can help folks get caught up on their mortgage. It's for homeowners. I uh, so just want to mention that uh, on the program. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, clearly Cynthia, you know, figured out how, you know, to survive through all that. And it, it, it's extraordinary, but, but she said it, right. You know, you can work a job and it's still really hard to afford your mortgage or your rent. Um, and as we've seen rents and the, and the price of housing generally go up, it's increasingly hard for people to be able to, to take care of that basic expense. And so, you know, one of the things that we as government can do is that we can produce housing that's intentionally designed to be lower rent. We can, we can buy down the debt on that housing to make it more affordable. We can help people um, with direct assistance. Uh, we can help uh, first-time home buyers that that maybe don't have the cash for that down payment to get to get into homes. There's lots of ways in which we as government can really help out in terms of uh, making housing more affordable for folks. So, Commissioner Ho, I, I want to make sure we talk about uh, what the state agency, Minnesota Housing, uh, or you as the commissioner, uh, what do you actually have the power to do? What is the focus of your job? Can you go through the responsibilities and roles of, of your position? So I basically run the state's housing bank is the easiest way to think about it. Uh, Every state has a housing finance agency and we have some federal tools and we have some state tools that we can use to make the housing market, both home ownership and rental, uh, you know, work better. Uh, I think uh, importantly, we help a lot of first time home buyers get a mortgage uh, we do that by providing down payment and closing cost assistance. We can help people with emergency repairs to a home that they own, help seniors stay in their homes that way. Uh, we help uh, produce and preserve uh, rental housing. Uh, we help uh, help nonprofits and you know, Habitat for Humanity and others construct single family homes uh, and help people uh, get into those homes. So, you know, in general, housing is a is a private market, um, but the government, both the federal and the state government, kind of provide an assist. And you know, I really feel like, as government, as a public investment in the in the housing world, our job is really to be focused on making sure that there's more housing, so that people don't have to experience homelessness, so that lower income workers can afford a place to live. As we. Uh talk more about the the plan announced by President Biden uh, this morning to uh, to truly uh, attack homelessness, reduce it by 25 percent by, by the year 2025. Um, some of the numbers that were released uh, were Minnesota specific numbers. I, I see the reports found that m- 
over half a million people were homeless on a single night in January of 22. Um, that's nationally. But can you tell us more about what the report found here in Minnesota? Has your office received some of that information? I had a chance to look at that. Uh, yeah, local communities uh, do an annual uh, point in time count of people experiencing homelessness. In Minnesota, it was about um, 8,000 people experiencing homelessness. We see um, different some different trends in those numbers. The number hasn't changed a lot, actually, since before the pandemic. Um, we had been seeing an increase in the number of people who were living outside. That's actually come down a bit because we had a lot of pandemic assistance that helped us move people uh, indoors into some unique settings uh, that, that helped people actually make the transition to permanent housing. Um, we've seen decreases, again, in the, in the number of veterans experiencing homelessness. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we had seen some decreases in families experiencing homelessness, I think tied to some of the protections that we had around evictions and some of the additional assistance that we had, you know, at the time. I, um, the number of single adults uh, is growing uh, generally. And, you know, it's a solvable problem. But it just requires intentional investment in housing that really is low barrier and 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 makes it affordable to people who who don't earn a lot of money. So when you say it's a solvable problem, well, what is not happening, or what maybe is not happening fast enough to eliminate the all of these barriers, like people being forced out of their homes because they can't afford the mortgage or they can't afford the rent. What is causing this big gap? Because we are seeing people, as we just heard from our caller, and we see the encampments, the the tents across the the Twin Cities across the state. Why isn't this solved? I mean, we need to have a consistent year after year investment in constructing the types of housing that works well for people who don't make a lot of money. And sometimes folks just need a little extra support to be able to adjust to having their own home. And, you know, we, we don't do that consistently year to year, either at the federal level or at the state level. You know, the last legislative session, we weren't able to put a housing package together. We weren't, we weren't able to get that done. People who build housing and people who are willing to target housing to people who make less money, uh, you know, these projects take years sometimes to plan to create a site, to organize the funding, and to get them built. And so it's really, really important to have, like, signal to the developers, the creators of this housing, that we're going to be investing in a significant way for multiple years so that if they've got a project in the pipeline, they have reasonable confidence that they're going to get funding and be able to build that housing. And and so that's the type of signal that I'd like to see come out of uh, the Congress through HUD, that, that HUD is going to have increased investments in creating this housing. And this is the conversation that I'm looking forward to having with the legislature. Let's take more phone calls from listeners. As we talk about housing, we have as our guest today, the state commissioner of housing, Jennifer Ho. The number to call is 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. In Columbia Heights, Tom is on the phone. Tom, thank you for waiting. And what did you want to share as we talk about housing? Well, good morning and uh, jubilant Hanukkah, whichever you're uh, celebrating. Um, I, I'm like the last call, the person who called in who 
what a heartbreaking story having to live in your in your car for two years while you're you're renting out your home just to try and keep the investment. And I'm similar to that in that um, when I was married, I had a home. I have a home. I ended up, we expanded it, and I inherited the debt when the divorce came on. And I raised our two boys in it to try and give them some stability. And I was in corporate world at that time and was making plenty of money to make the, to make the mortgage. Uh, since the, And that was an adjustable rate mortgage. And fortunately, over the past, say, decade, it was very favorable to me. And then the adjustable rate mortgage, which is a contract between a bank, a mortgage company, and a and a and someone who's uh, a lender and a lendee, um, you know that that adjustable rate mortgage has gone away, and it's owned by a a uh, credit union, and it seems like they want the house because they just moved the base from a LIBOR rate back to a T bill rate, and a margin they put on it was essentially equivalent to the base rate of two point, you know, something. And now I'm, I've, I'm looking at it like a 4.75% mortgage. And my mortgage in March is going up $427 from 1776 to over two, well, 2200 effectively. So and I'm just wondering how I'm going to do it. Cause I'm working two part time jobs. I'm a 67 year old man. Who's not going into back into corporate world and getting a buck 50 a year uh, salary. So I'm, I'm really concerned and I'm thinking about renting a, a room to a veteran, uh, and I, I'll um, listen so you, to the commissioner's background and whether she has any impact on. Thank you, on Tom. So, Tom is someone who may reflect what a lot of people are going through. That they're worried, like the the increased costs that he may not be able to to be able to make his mortgage payments in the future. And what could help him, Commissioner Ho? I uh, well, I mean, it sounds like Tom's not behind yet, but he's he's worried about getting behind. And I think you know, I absolutely agree with an adjustable rate mortgage. They were great when interest rates are low, but we've been in a rising interest rate environment uh, for the better part of the year now, and um, and and it sounds like that may not be done yet. So, I uh, I I certainly see that he's got a reason to be concerned. And and just like Chris Farrell was explaining earlier, I mean, a, a few interest rate points is pretty significant in terms of the monthly payment difference uh, that Tom was talking about here. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there are people that are thinking about, uh, you know, having a renter. Uh, you know, there are folks that are, they're exploring creative living arrangements to be able to afford uh, being able to keep their homes. You know, I, I want to mention again for folks who are behind on their mortgage, uh, there's help at homehelpmn.org. But I think that, I mean, this is a real dilemma, and this is where I think it's important for, for the legislature to think about different ways that we can invest in homelessness prevention, um, ways in which uh, we can just help people through this, this period. I mean, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember high interest rates, um, but in terms of my professional career, I mean, it's been a long time since we've had, had mortgages, you know, at 7%. You know, I'm reminded by people in my agency who have been doing this longer than I am that that there was a time when when mortgage interest rates were double digits, and so it's just that we've been through this period with such extremely low interest rates. I think a lot of us, you know, have kind of forgotten what a what a seven percent or even a four and a half percent interest rate 
what the impact of that is, like Tom was telling us. All right, we're going to take a news break shortly, but I want to get in one more phone call before we do that because I know people are, are waiting to, to get on. Uh, in St. Paul, we have Carol on the phone. And Carol, what do you want to tell us? Uh, what is your situation as you look at, at um, owning a home or, 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 or finding an affordable home? Um, oh. Well, I appreciate this program and it's bringing up a lot of um, sadness in um So I'm, I'm a little bit... Um, I'm having trouble with that, but um, I lost my home during the um, what, what what did we call it? The worldwide the recession. Yeah, back in, in uh, 2008 2009. Or 2009. Okay. And yeah, um, and I was not behind on my mortgage, but I couldn't. My lender, um, my husband had died of brain cancer and he was our uh, you know primary um wage earner Mm -hmm. and so my lender would not approve my um sources of income anyway what i wanted to share is that it's hard as an aging person to not have a home uh because when i look at retirement um I think for a lot of people that includes having paid off a mortgage and having a home. Mm-hmm. And for me, I don't have that. And so I don't know how, um, how don't, long I have to work to pay mm-hmm. for rent. So, Kara, I'm sorry for I'm sorry for the loss of your home. I'm sorry for the loss of your husband. But your current li- living situation is what? Are you still in the house, or have you now moved into an apartment? No, I I lost the house. Okay. So I I'm in an apartment and I have rent to pay and um and you're working. Yeah, so I don't know when I retire that that's the question. Like that I thought might be something interesting to your mm-hmm. listeners like um what happens when I can't work anymore? What happens next? How oh, do right. I pay my rent? Yeah. Carol, thank you um, for calling in and sharing your story. And again, I, I'm sorry for the loss of your husband and loss of your home. Uh, Commissioner Ho, she started off, she's like, I have sadness. So there is sadness. People have suffered losses. People are worried. What What would you say to, to people who have this worry and concern about what's next and who are trying to prepare for uh, what is coming when they're no longer able to keep the types of jobs that they have or they just feel like they're just never going to catch up? Yeah, well, and I want to thank Carol for calling in and, and I share that worry and I share that sadness. I, um, I mean, there are more and more people who are thinking about, you know, growing old and not being able to imagine, uh, stopping working. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, we get encouraged sometimes to, to, to refinance, uh, our, our homes if we have one. But it means that we're kind of extending that mortgage payment out, you know, mm-hmm. another, you know, 20, you know, <laughs> even 30 years. And, you know, instead of being in a position where we can, where we can pay them off, I, I think what I would say, you know, specifically to, to Carol is to explore with a local public housing authority or, or perhaps, um, other, uh, types of housing where there's some assistance in there, where your income 
is defines how much rent you pay. You know, if you have a, a housing choice voucher through a public housing authority or you're in uh, certain types of federally assisted units, uh, you can get set up so that your rent is based on what you earn as opposed to uh, being a fixed amount. Now, there's not enough of that. Um, uh, there's not enough of that that's available, uh, but there is some and it, and, it, and it pays to plan ahead because it can sometimes take a while to uh, move up on a waiting list or something like that. Back to the phone lines in Montevideo. Kathy is on the line. Kathy, thank you for holding on. Thank you for waiting. And, and what did you want to tell us? Yes. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm a executive director for a housing authority out in rural Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And my question for Jennifer is if she sees in the future a new calculation by HUD um, for the income levels, because what we see is whether it's a single parent that's working or a retired couple or indiv- retired individual, it's hard for them to meet that income limit. Um, they tend to be a little above, especially for those that are working. If they're working full time, um, whether it's a you know fast food restaurant or they're working in a hospital, any of those, um, they tend to not qualify. So I'm wondering if HUD is looking at uh, raising those income limits. All right. Um, Commissioner Ho? Uh, well, Kathy, thanks for the call. I, you know, I, I can't say whether or not uh, HUD is looking at that. Certainly when I've had the opportunity to talk with the HUD secretary and with members of Congress and with staff at HUD, uh, Pointing out what does and doesn't work uh, in terms of these federal programs, you know, you know, Angela talked about the the large state surplus and mm-hmm. the opportunity that we have in the 2023 session to make some big investments in housing. You know, one of the things that Minnesota Housing does is that we've got some programs that 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 go a little higher up the income scale, and we've seen that type of housing work really well in small greater Minnesota communities, they're trying to do exactly this. They're trying to create affordable rental or affordable home ownership uh, opportunities for workers that are moving into communities like, like War Road, like Roseau, like Thief River Falls, like Detroit Lakes, Owatonna, Faribault. You know, uh, we just funded a project in Jackson, Minnesota. You know, these are communities that just need a little bit of a government assist to be able to put more housing in that's going to be affordable to, to, to people that want to be in those communities. There are jobs in those communities. I, um, you know, we had an opportunity for a moment a year ago where the Congress was actually talking about making significant investments in housing. I hear from my colleagues all across the country that this is an enormous challenge for their communities. And so I've got to believe uh, that, that at some point in time, the federal government is going to step up and lean in, you know, the, the way they did with the GI Bill, you know, the, the, the way they did at other points in time to really use uh, the power of the federal government to help boost this as well. But, but uh, right now, you know, I think my attention is very much up at the Minnesota State Capitol and that 176 billion dollar surplus. This is what's difficult for me, even just to have this conversation, because you have people who are working one, two jobs, and, and they still can't afford where they're trying to live. 
And and so, you know, you, you said, I know in other interviews that, that this is the time now to go big on housing. So what what does going big look like? Uh, and you mentioned, as an example, raising some of the, the, the income requirements so that more people can benefit from some of the assistance that's available. But but what does the next year hold for us, Jennifer? You know, right now, the state legislature invests less than 1% of the whole state budget goes into housing. And with a surplus of this magnitude, it seems to me that it makes a ton of sense to do a significant infusion of money into our housing system. I, um, last session, the governor and lieutenant governor had a supplemental budget proposal that was a billion dollars for housing and homelessness. You know, we could make an investment, you know, at that order of magnitude with this size of a surplus. And we should do it across the whole housing continuum. We should do it to promote home ownership for first-generation home buyers. We should increase the supply. We should do preservation so that we don't lose the precious affordable housing that we have in the community today. Um, and we should uh, be investing in supportive housing and other efforts that help us prevent and end homelessness. Let's take a phone call from St. Cloud. Amy is on the line. Good morning, Amy. What did you want to share with us? Good morning. Um, mine's going to be pretty quick because I know that we're we're running low on time here. But we actually moved out from the Seattle, Washington area. We were down in Olympia, Washington, mm-hmm. which used to be considered really affordable <laughs> until the influx of you know folks from Seattle had to push out because Seattle got too expensive. So we moved here to Minnesota about three years ago, and now we're looking at we're going to have to leave here too. <laughs> so <laughs> it just it just where do you go and I think that one of the things that a lot of government should be looking at locally is tiny housing. Is what kind of housing? Uh, small housing, tiny housing, mm-hmm. um, looking at zoning, uh, differences in zoning. And I know that it doesn't bring in as much of a profit uh, tax-wise as larger houses do, but that seems to be the reason why so many communities are opposed to tiny houses. All right, let's ask about uh, tiny houses. So uh, this concept of, of building these really small houses that are way more affordable, is that something that's catching on here in Minnesota, Commissioner? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Amy's exactly right. I mean, we build houses that are so much larger than, for example, where my mom grew up, where my grandparents lived. You know, we just have actually have smaller uh, households, fewer numbers of people, and we have more square feet per person. And, uh, and communities oftentimes do have local zoning and land use policies that make it harder to have smaller lot sizes. Or, uh, you, you know, if you have to have, you know, a two or three car garage or you have to, you know, required to do certain things, it makes it hard to do something that's smaller and more affordable. I mean, tiny homes is kind of a, a, a an emerging term of art, but it can mean a lot of different things. But I think, you know, you know, fundamentally, I think we just have to take a look at our land use policy, which is controlled by local jurisdictions, and ask ourselves, you know, why are these policies in place and are they promoting a more equitable housing ecosystem or are they getting in the way of mm. that? And it's been a really interesting conversation uh, up, up at the Capitol. Mm. It's been an interesting conversation in some of the, uh, the local jurisdictions. But the question is, you know, what are we doing at all levels of government? in order to make home ownership more attainable, to just make the basic economics of, of renting an apartment work for people.
Let's take another phone call um, from Ron, who is in St. Paul. Good morning, Ron. And what did you want to share with us as we talk with the housing commissioner? I I just wanted to uh, say that, uh, well, I'm currently homeless and uh, living in my SUV, and I'm helping others try and find housing from the ground up because I, I just can't sit and watch what's going on around me, and it's all the people that I see uh, 90-year-old men and women, small children, teenagers, you name it. They're homeless living in their vehicles and spending their days and nights searching for food and someplace where they can can rest in their vehicles. It, it's almost like a, like a whole other society that exists out there, and it's really stunned me. Ron, could you tell me what led to your living in your SUV? What happened? I was injured on the job and lost my career job and then couldn't go back to work for a period of time, ended up losing my home and never could get back into anything sustaining. Had uh, rented different places and while I was trying to do part-time work and other work and finally my injury caught up with me and I couldn't do much at all and that took me out of the housing market completely. And so what, what are you doing now? Are you able to work at all now? Not now, not maybe a day here, maybe a day there. Um, I've I've lost uh, the feeling in my arms, so it, it's kind of hard to do things. And it's a progressive injury that it'll it'll probably end up taking my life as as I get older. And um, unfortunately, there's nothing that they can do uh, at this point. And I I'm just trying to survive and get back into some kind of normalcy of life. And then I see others out there that are that are half my age doing way Same. worse than I am and and little kids in tow uh, like I said these the seniors that I see out living in their vehicles um is just staggering just unbelievably staggering I, I had no idea well, Ron, I want you to to hold on and um thank you for calling and sharing what you were going through and I want you to be safe and to take care of yourself and Commissioner Ho right now like give us some advice on resources that could help someone experiencing homelessness right now, particularly in this extreme cold weather? Well, I just want to thank Ron for calling in and and to be in such a hard situation himself and yet have so much compassion for others around him. I just really admire you, Ron. Thanks for the call. I am uh, United Way 211 um, is yes. always a good place to call. I um, They've been extraordinary partners uh, with us through these hard times. Uh, your local county, um, the local public housing authority, uh, they all have uh, resources, either, you know, help with food, help with income, help with health insurance, uh, help with housing. I um, uh, And Commissioner, I'm sorry, we just have 20 seconds left here, but calling 211 will connect you with someone who can tell you about a variety of resources immediately. That's right. They can okay. triage your situation and help direct you to, to programs that might be able to help. We are going to continue to talk about this throughout the year. And I just want to thank our guest today, Minnesota Housing Commissioner Jennifer Ho. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you for our listeners who shared their personal stories. Please be safe, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.